Good morning, Calvary. Good morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. To Jesus. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 11, and then we're going to skip to verse 29 to 39. You can find this in the Pew Bibles on page 944. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Verse 29. For that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. glorified. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Happy Easter. He is risen. I uh, said I was greeting uh, Blanca Winton before at the first service, and she said, he is risen. And I said, he is risen indeed, but I don't think I sufficiently said it loud enough for her, so she asked me repeatedly. So let's say it for Blanca. He is risen. He is risen It's good to be with you all this morning, and I want to welcome any of you that are visiting this morning. Perhaps you're here from out of town, or maybe uh, you're in the area, but don't go to church uh, at Calvary normally, but glad to have you here. To the rest of our regular Calvary family, great to have you here this morning. So what do you guys want to talk about today? What should we talk about? Jesus. Jesus. Amen. As a pastor, the nice thing about Easter morning is you don't have to come up with a sermon topic. I mean, it's just, it's about the resurrection of Jesus. 
course, the challenging thing with preaching on Easter as a pastor is after the first Easter and the second Easter and the third Easter and the fourth Easter, you're like, what do I talk about? I accept that Jesus has risen. I don't know what else new to say, but it's okay because sometimes you just need to tell the old, old story. In any case, Easter, Easter morning isn't the sort of Sunday where everyone wants to come to church and hear a 42-minute sermon. Easter sermons are a bit like wedding sermons. You go to a wedding not to hear the sermon, right? Every sermon, every wedding needs to have a sermon, but you don't go to hear the sermon. You go to celebrate the wedding. It's the same, I think, with Easter. So we're here to celebrate Easter this morning. So I'm going to try to keep my sermon short-ish and uh, sweet. And this morning, our text is Romans 8, 11, 29 through 39. And this is a famous text that extols the love of God in the face of all things that might cause us to doubt it. I don't know what you're bringing to church this Easter morning. Maybe you're bringing Easter joy. Or maybe you're bringing a heavy heart full of troubles. Or maybe you're bringing uncertainty and doubt about your faith. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while, but you've fallen away a bit You're not quite sure what sense Christianity makes of the world. You still come to church on Christmas and Easter because you're not quite ready to give it up altogether, but you don't quite know how it fits between Christmas and Easter. Or maybe this morning you're not even a Christian at all. You're just here with family or friends or a spouse. However you find yourself this morning, whatever you've brought with you to church this morning, our text this morning stands as a reminder of the central truth of Easter, that God loves us and that God is for us. So we're going to just sort of roll our way through this text this morning, taking it as it comes. So we'll start back here with chapter 8, verse 11. Let me reread it for us. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I had to start here in verse 11 because it's Easter and it mentions the resurrection and that's good, but also because verse 11 gives us a concise statement about everything that Paul has been writing about in the preceding chapters in the book of Romans. Paul's entire argument throughout Romans hangs upon the truth of the resurrection. We were dead in our sins and we were cut off from the life of God, but through our union with Christ in his death and resurrection, through the spirit of God being placed inside of us, we have been raised up with Christ, not only now spiritually, but also in the age to come physically. And, at the, and the aim of this resurrection, Paul says in verse 29, is that we would be conformed to the image of the Son. So in verses 29 through 30, Paul lays out what is sometimes called the golden chain of salvation. All those whom God foreknew, he predestined, and all those he predestined, he's called, and all those he's called, he has justified, and all those he justified, he glorified. And the climax of this golden chain is found in verse 29, then it's mentioned again at the end of verse 30, God has destined all of those whom he has raised with the Son to be conformed to the image of the Son. That's what it means to be glorified. Easter is a reminder that the purpose of your life, 
And the purpose of my life is to be made like the Son. It's in the resurrection of Christ and our participation in the resurrection of Christ that we are conformed to the image of the Son, that we are made the kind of people who desire and act and live in ways that reflect the glory and love of Jesus, to be made the kind of people whose lives are marked by hope and joy and purpose and meaning. I've said a number of times over the past year or so that joy has a name, and his name is Jesus. And oh, what a glorious thing it is to be made like joy himself, to be made into a living, pulsing instance of joy, to be made into a living, pulsing instance of peace and of love, to be free from all the restless and ceaseless strivings, to be something important, to be free from all the need to self-protect and to hide our shame, free from trying to find our hope in sinful practices that only leave us scared and scarred and more empty than before. Our lives are like streams of water flowing over the earth towards the great sea of God's love. But along the way, we get bounced around by all the rocks and the boulders that lie in our path. And they twist us, and they turn us, and they make us froth and chatter and cry out in frustration and pain and anger. But to be conformed to the image of the sun is to become like a great and mighty big-souled river that flows over all the rocks and stones in our path, serene and calm, rejoicing and at peace, not because the rocks and the boulders aren't there, but because joy, the joy who is the sun, has so filled us up with God's love that we were able to pass over all of it in his peace. And that's what it means to be raised up in Christ's resurrection and conformed to the image of the Son of God. Not just that we become moral, that we stop yelling at our kids, stop cheating on our taxes, but that we, we so receive and are transformed by the love of God in Christ that we become fully able to love others as God loves, to have hope in the world when, when all things around us are crumbling away, to have peace when the tempest rages, and that in God's love and hope and peace, we'll be able to follow fully and willingly wherever he leads us. And so Paul lays all this out, and then he asks us in verse 31, what shall we say to these things? And so I ask you this Easter morning, what do you say to that? Well, maybe you say this morning, all that talk about being loved by God and raised with Christ and conformed to his image, that's all well and good, but, but you don't know who stands against me. You don't know who has set themselves in opposition against me. I can't find my way to God's love because my opponents are too strong for me. But I say to you, if God is for you, who can be against you? Who is against you this morning? Tell me, is your spouse against you? Your parents? Your kids? Your boss? Your friends? Who dares set themselves against the purposes of God for your life? There is no power formed against you that is able to prosper in opposition to God's love for you. 
God has set himself to the task of conforming you to the image of his son. And he stands on one side of your life, pushing you towards joy and love and life. And the whole world could stand on the other side and push in the opposite direction. And it doesn't matter. Listen, whoever is against you this Easter morning, be assured that God is for you that nothing can stand in the way of his glorious destiny for your life. He can and will bring you to joy and to peace and to his love. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us There is no effort he is unwilling to make. No price that he is unwilling to pay. Whatever you need to be conformed to the image of the Son, he is right now in this moment giving you. It may not seem like it, but for those who love God and who have been called according to his purpose, all things are working together for good towards the singular goal of conforming you to the image of his Son. So listen, he knows how difficult your spouse is, how challenging your children are, how how impossible to please your boss is, how fickle your friends are. He knows who stands against you. He sees your your, your situation with sympathy and with concern. And he would say to you to call out to him, to in your distress call to him, for he in his temple will hear your voice and your cry will reach his ears. The earth then will reel and rock. The foundations of the mountains will tremble and they will quake because he will be angry, angry at those who are pressing you and you are being oppressed and smoke will go up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth and glowing coals will flame forth from him and he will bow the heavens and he will come down to rescue you. And then the channels of the sea will be seen and the foundations of the world will be laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord and at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He will send from on high and take you and draw you out of many waters. He will rescue you from the strong enemy and from those who hate you, though they are too mighty for you. Though they confronted you in the day of your calamity, the Lord will be your support. He will bring you out into a broad place. He will rescue you because he delights in you. So what do you say to that? Well, you say, perhaps that's true for you, but, but I've sinned. I don't have faith like I should. God is not pleased with me, and that's why I can't hope in his love. But I say to you, no, listen to me. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is there to condemn you? Who, I ask, dares to speak a word of condemnation over you if God has spoken a word of justification over you? You? Do you think your own word of self-condemnation is mightier than God's word of justification and absolution? Christ Jesus, the one who died, and not just died, but who was raised on that first Easter morning and who now sits at the right hand of God. He is the one who intercedes for you and pleads his blood on your behalf. 
He is our great high priest who passes through the heavens and who sympathizes with us in our weakness. In him we can draw near the throne of grace with confidence that we will receive mercy and grace and kindness to help us in our time of need. We don't need to deny or cover our sins. We can look them fully in the face, but we must keep our eyes on Jesus. And here I feel a C.S. Lewis quote coming on. In the Chronicles of Narnia, after Edmund has betrayed his brothers and his sisters, the white witch comes to Aslan, Aslan to claim him as her property. And here's how Lewis writes the scene. You have a traitor there, Aslan, said the witch. Of course, everyone present knew that she meant Edmund, but Edmund had got past thinking about himself after all that he had been through and after the talk that he had had that morning with Aslan. He just went on looking at Aslan. It didn't seem to matter what the witch said. Just keep looking at Jesus. It doesn't matter what the witch king of Angmar says. It's actually a Tolkien reference, but I thought I would just slide that one in there because you know like Tolkien too. The witch king of hell was defeated at the cross and rendered powerless at the resurrection. The power of sin and condemnation have been broken. So listen, on this Easter morning, believe more in the power of God's forgiving mercy and his resurrecting grace than you do in the power of your death-inducing sin. Your sin might be mighty, but his mercy is more. You have died with Christ to sin and death, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your sin cannot separate you from the love of God. So what do you say to that? Ah, you say, that might be true for you, but my sufferings and my trials have come between me and God's love. If God really loved me, I wouldn't have all these trials. But I say to you, no. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword be able to separate you from the love of God? So what if you are killed all day long and regarded like sheep to be slaughtered? All of those things are the very means by which God gives us the victory. It is not in spite of our sufferings and trials that we are conformed to the image of the Son. It is through our sufferings and our trials. Do not lose heart. Though your outer self is wasting away, your inner self is being renewed day by day. For these light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, none of these stand between us and God's love. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Dying, we live. Sorrowing, we rejoice. Losing our lives, we find them. We walk the shadowed valley without fear because he is there with us. We are not alone. The Lord is at hand. Therefore, do not be anxious about anything, saying, what shall I eat, or what shall I drink, or what shall I wear? The pagans seek after all those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He will supply all your needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, 
nor anything else in all of creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So what do you say to that? Ah, you say, I have the trump card. I have the trump card. I am not a Christian. God may love his people, but I do not belong to him. But know this, not even you, dear sinners, stand beyond the reach of the love of God in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him, even you, should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world, that you, even you, my dear non-Christian friend, might be saved through him. The salvation of Easter is a free gift available to all through faith. All of us are saved by grace through faith. All of us are saved not by our own works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And whether you acknowledge it or not, in him you live and you move and you have your being. You belong to him, for indeed, even as your own pagan poets have said, we are all God's offspring. Turn to him this Easter morning and be saved. He longs for you to know his steadfast love. He will have compassion on you. He will tread your iniquities underfoot. He will cast all your sin into the depths of the sea. He will forgive all of your trespasses and cancel the record of debt that stands against you. He will make you alive together with Christ and give your purpose and hope and peace and meaning and joy. And what do you say to that? And maybe you will say, I don't know how to pray. And if you do not know how to pray, then you can simply pray this, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This morning, here and now, I place my life in your hands. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I place my life in your hands. And now we come to the last and best word of God's Easter love. The word of God made flesh and given to us to eat and drink. And here on the table before us, the assurance of God's love. The assurance that his promises are true, that he loves us, and that we will indeed be conformed to his image. We had a quote from C.S. Lewis, a Tolkien allusion. I'm going to bring in my favorite church father, St. Augustine, just to round it out. Right. So from his, his book, The Confessions, he writes that in a time of confusion and uncertainty, the Lord Jesus spoke a word to him saying this, I am the food of the fully grown. Grow, and you will feed on me. And you will not change me into you like the food your flesh eats, but you will be changed into me. Normal food, when we eat it, it becomes what we are. We ingest it, we absorb it, and it becomes what we are. But the bread of life, when we eat him, 
we become what he is. We are absorbed into him. Listen to these words from John chapter 6. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Communion is the great sign that we have communion with Christ, that we participate in his life, that we live because he lives, that the death that he died and the resurrection that he was raised in becomes our death and our resurrection, that we will live forever because he lives forever. I don't know what you think might come between you and God's love this Easter morning, your opponents, your sin, your trials, not being a Christian. None of these need stand between you and God's love. He has given us here this table to remind his people that he loves us and that he is conforming us to the image of his son.